Welcome to the Channel 17 podcast, a weekly Atlanta Braves discussion brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and joining me as always, my father, Tim Floyd. Great to be with you. So our main In the topic midst of the holiday season. Well, yes. it's good to be together. Uh, our main topic of conversation today is the 1974 Brave season. Uh, and we know that Braves fans really for holiday cheer want to think about the 70s Braves. That's always a good thing. Well, that's sarcasm it is true for people that 1974 who didn't know that. contains what may still be the biggest moment in Atlanta Braves history. We won a maybe, World maybe Series. Maybe the biggest, but we'll get to that. So it um the 70s were a pretty dismal decade for Atlanta Braves fans, but there was that wonderful historic moment we'll talk about in a little bit. But otherwise, it was a, it was pretty much a desert of baseball for the Atlanta franchise. Yeah, th- this is actually the best season of really between 69 and 82, the two division winners. Right. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's, it may be the only season they were over 500. I didn't go back and check that. I think they I had a 500 season. To hear that. Yeah. I think the strike season, they were actually 50 and 51. So you're right. Right. Close enough. Yeah. Um, but there's not really any recent Braves news. We have not talked uh, on this podcast in two weeks, and I don't think anything big has happened. Yeah, we had a lot of news around the winter meetings before our last podcast. Not as much news as many people thought the Braves might generate. You know, the Braves were in talks for one of the frontline starting pitchers. Uh, none of that panned out. Uh, just as well, but the Braves did make all those moves for um, aging and injured starting pitchers before the winter meetings. Uh, and I, I sounded facetious when I said that. Actually, as I said before, I think the Braves really strengthened themselves with those starting pitching acquisitions. Um, but otherwise, yeah, not not much action from the Braves. Uh, it, it, it's looking like they're ready to go to spring training with the roster they have. Although as soon as you say that. Never underestimate Copy. He's always doing stuff. Well, here's the two big pieces of news I could come up with that seemed worthy of mentioning. Okay. Uh, Dansby Swanson is changing his number to seven, which has always been his favorite number. He's able to do that. So. Yeah, who was it? Was it Beckham who was wearing it last year? Some, yeah. Somebody had it when he got called up, so he couldn't get number um, seven. So. But also, good for him, if he's wearing the number he wants... All those uh, people still holding Francoeur jerseys and T-shirts, you can just switch out the nameplate. Just switch it out. Um, um, I don't know why you haven't burned your shirts since Jeff Francoeur lost war number seven, but that's not up to any me. sensible fan with one of those jerseys that already blacked out the name. So that's yes. helpful. Uh, the other piece of news, ish, Ronald Acuna, I believe, is an Australian League All Star. Yeah, I, obviously there's there's really nothing going on in terms of, of baseball, actual playing baseball news to amount to anything, but I've seen a couple of those stories about Acuna. Man, that guy, um, I mean, I, I was pretty excited about him before last season started. Then he got hurt and missed much of the season, but um, all the scouts you know, rave about his ability, his athletic ability, his tools, and he's got it all. But he is tearing it up in Australia. What I don't know, Will, is what ca- what caliber of baseball do they play down there? Does this mean anything that he's doing so well? Well, there's a part of me that wants to make cricket jokes, but that's just because I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Like, I want to say maybe it means he can hit the ball off a of bounce better, 
or hit it behind him better, but I, I really have no idea how good that league is. <laughs> right. Um, it's it's real baseball, I think, but uh, who, who plays there, I don't know. I can picture, you know, a bunch of side armors like Peter Moylan or... Um, that's about that's about our, it from Australian baseball. Our, our concept is that no one throws overhand in Australia. Um, <laughs> right, that may be it. I, I do wonder um, though about if but, Australia. But Australia um, while we're talking about our prospects, we'll soon get to the the nineteen seventies. But um, for a lot of I mean, several sites have come out with their top prospects list over the last month. You know, for all of baseball and the Braves, and and. Uh, the guys over at Talking Shop—they really got a cunya up there. It's based, you know, pretty much purely on potential. Um, of course, Kevin Maitan makes top ten lists as well, and that is nothing but potential. Never played a professional game, but Acuna, you know, is apparently an excellent center fielder. He runs, he hits, he hits with power. Um, one of the sites I read was making a bunch of Andrew Jones references, um, which is silly. And then. Um, Andrew Jones was the all-time greatest defensive center fielder in baseball history, at least as far as I can tell, and he hit over 400 home runs. If if Acuna gives us that, I'll, yes. um, but I, <laughs> that, that's the problem with talking about these prospects in their teen years. <laughs> but that's what we've got to talk about, so that's right. pretty exciting. Uh, otherwise, not much news there. And that is why our off-season plan has been to go backwards in time. So, and, yes, let's get in the way-back machine and well, go back. <laughs> the... We're really going to talk about the 1974 Braves because they were the good team and they were kind of interesting on a number of levels and a big historic moment happened. But I also think of this as 73, 74, 75 kind of present an interesting little arc that says something about the nature of the Braves in the 70s. You said you said the '74 team was the best team between their two division-winning teams, and and no doubt that's true. But in some ways, it was sort of the beginning of an abysmal period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the late '70s were as bad as any stretch in Atlanta history. Um, very closely um, in competition with the late '80s, very similar times. Um, but what looked like might be promise. I mean, the Braves had been a pretty good franchise. Um, we talked about '66, where they were pretty much 500. They remained a 500 team, even though everybody thought they might be better. And then, of course, last time we talked about winning the pennant in '69, um, had some good young players coming along. Uh, looked like they might really turn into a good franchise, um, and then it never really panned out. And by the late '70s, they were really the worst team in the league. So. It's, 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 you know, we often talk about in this looking back, um, you know, the arc of a franchise and what do you do to be competitive over years. Um, th- this is an emblematic season in a lot of ways. Well, and here's their record from 69 through 77. Because mm-hmm. next time out, we're going to talk about 78, which is when Bobby Cox came in. But this stretch that we're sort of representing with 74. 69 after winning the pennant with a 93 and 69 record. They went 76 and 86, 82 and 80, 70 and 84, 76 and 85, 88 and 74 and 74, which we're talking about, 67 and 94, 70 and 92, 61 and 101. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, they were in 90 lost territory every single year for many years in a row immediately after this team that we're talking about. So yes, this is sort of an example of what can go wrong when you think things are going well. But we'll, we'll get to that, but let's... Um, if I may back up a moment, mm-hmm. 73, um, 
was a season I remember so well um, because if you're a fan of offense and the home run, the Braves were, well, they were the first team ever to have three players with 40 or more home runs um, in 73. Um, and they, they had some good young players. They, they still had Aaron, uh, who was 39 years old um, in 73, hit 40 home runs himself. He was, he was amazing. I've, I don't need to go on about him that much. Um, but in addition, they had the young guy at third base, Darrell Evans, who hit over 40 home runs. And the recently acquired Dave Johnson, who never had any power at all with the Orioles, hit over 40 home runs. Um, but not only that, they had the young Dusty Baker and the young Ralph Gar in the outfield, both guys in their mid-20s who looked like they had a lot of potential and actually themselves hit very well in 73. Um, they were they were a very good offensive team. Um, they were a very weird were, offensive team, too. Um, yeah. And this gets into what the Braves kind of did to maybe improve from 76 and 85. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is, is an excellent Becoming offensive a team. team. That, or, or a team that hit a lot of home runs, I should say that. And they had several other guys that were very good in the lineup. Um, I mean, I think Dusty Baker drove in close to 100 runs himself. Um, Ralph 99. 300, as he always did. I'm talking about in 73. Mm-hmm. It was a very good offensive team, and yet it was, what, 9, 10 games under 500. It just showed how if your pitching is not any good, it doesn't matter how well, many runs you score. Yeah, so there are a few things going on with this team. First, of those 40 home run hitters, Davey Johnson hit 270 with 43 home runs, and while walking 81 times, he only hit 25 doubles. Yeah. That will sound very familiar when I say that Daryl Evans hit 281, albeit with 124 walks because Daryl Evans was awesome. Yeah. 41 home runs, 25 doubles, 8 triples. Is the secret actually that you couldn't hit a double in Atlanta Fulton County? Maybe so. Um, you know, it was it was the known as the launching pad, and before Coors Field came along, it was pretty clearly the best hitting park in the National League, probably in all of baseball. Um, and so part of what we're seeing in 73 may have just been park effects, that it, these hitters really weren't that good. Maybe their pitchers really no, weren't no. that bad. Um, no, Daryl Evans, Davey Johnson, and Hank. I mean, park effects are one thing, but to hit 40 yeah. home runs anywhere before the 90s in Coors is an achievement. And even oh, then, true. I don't mean to minimize that they were very good and they hit well, but maybe they weren't quite as good as we thought. And Dave Johnson, although he hit 40 home runs that year, I don't think he ever had another year in his entire career where he hit as many as 20 in a season. Oh, so. no. No, he was not that good ever again. He would go on to become a remarkable manager who I also occasionally would loathe for the teams he managed. Oh, right. I think Dave Johnson is, you know, underrated as one of the really great managers of the modern era. But Um, he's also kind of underrated as a, as a player. Um, He was an excellent defensive player. Um, He was, you know, a stalwart on the great Orioles teams under Earl Weaver, the late sixties and early seventies. He was part of a blockbuster trade, that uh, the Braves were involved in. Again, talking about trying to build a franchise. This is all leading up to what what the Braves are doing in the early 70s. Um, The the Braves acquired a bunch of players from the Orioles for their young catcher, Earl Williams. Earl Williams could knock the crap out of the ball. Um, He apparently was a terrible defensive catcher, but he'd been the rookie of the year for the Braves in, what, 71? Um, He he could really hit, uh, and the Orioles... It kind of un- doesn't sound like something Earl Weaver would want to do, but they, they traded away lots of players 
the Braves ended up with Pat Dobson, who'd been a 20-game winner for the Orioles, not that good and didn't pitch well for the Braves, a young guy named Rorick Harrison and all kinds of potential, um, and, and the catcher, Johnny Oates. Um, so, you know, lots of players that the Braves acquired from the Orioles, um, mostly they didn't work out, except Dave Johnson had the fantastic year in 73, but they traded. Now, truth is, Earl Williams didn't work out that well for the Orioles either. But I mean, he was kind of the guy who never should have been a catcher. Right. He, he was a big, slow guy. Uh, Not to say fat, I didn't use that word, but he was a big, heavy guy uh, who didn't move fact, well. In so fact, his nickname was Heavy. Plate. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he could he could knock the ball out of the park though. He was strong. If I tell you that you forgot one guy that went from the Braves to the Orioles in that trade in 1972, could you then think who it was? Oh yeah, I, did I, I think I named correctly who they got back from the Orioles? Mm-hmm. Who, did, who else did they send with? I didn't look this, this up. This is right. freakish territory. If you do, who this. was it? Taylor Duncan. Taylor Duncan, um, who obviously never panned out either, um, he was he was a prospect that uh, infielder that they had high hopes for, but I think they'd already soured on him by then. Um, in any event, that that's the kind of trade that didn't <laughs> didn't have long term yeah great impact on either team. But so the, the linchpin of the trade, I remember a lot of them said the Braves need more pitchers. This guy Rorick Harrison has great stuff, and he's kind of blocked with all the great pitchers the Orioles have. We had high hopes for him. Boy, he didn't work out that well either. But anyway, we're we're getting up to seventy four. The seventy three team was a frustrating team. Hold on, there is news just coming oh, yeah. in on my phone. We agreed to a deal with Ender Inciarte on an extension. Oh, well, that's good. I think that's the first time we've been able to do that, that I got it right there. That, while, we were, while we were recording, that's yes. pretty exciting. <laughs> Rip from the headlines. Um, uh, you got to follow our I podcast like if you want to keep up with the Braves. That's yeah. right. Well, we, we, we can look at that later and get the details, but, man, you, we love Ender. We've already talked about him a lot. And there's, there's a lot to love about him, and to go ahead and lock him up longer. Oh, boy, this is great. Five-year contract extension. He gets a $3.5 million signing bonus, and then annual salaries of $2 million, $4 million, $5 million, $7 million, and $8 million. There is a club option at the end that's worth $9 million and has a buyout of one025 those are all his pre-free agency years, right? I mean, it, they, there was that much team control. Well, not the last one, but up until then, right? So basically, I think it's they're buying two out more his years, huh? I'm trying to see. It looks like they may have extended into the first of his free agent years. Yeah. I'm doing this on the fly here. But right. anyway, just, just pinning down Ender Enciarte. He, he's a guy, you, one of the guys are going to build around. So that's it, it's fun to focus on, on what they've got now for the future. But you know, the Braves had some guys like that. Um, Dusty Baker and Ralph Gar and Darrell Evans um, were, you know, all-star caliber players. Um, each of them made all-star teams over the years. I have We've a major about. difference here. So here's what's interesting to me looking at 73 and 74 together. First, yeah. you're right. The pitching was weird. In 73, uh, Phil Necro was the best starter. Get used to that. Listeners, yeah. that's going to be true for three more episodes. Uh, he was 34, but he's also a knuckleballer. So entering his prime, yes. Yeah. Uh, somehow he only pitched 245 innings in 42 games. He only started 30 games. I don't get that. I don't. That was 73. You're talking about? Yeah. Why do you not throw I, Phil Necro 400 innings? I, I don't. 
I don't know what was going on. I don't remember that. I mean, he pitched in 42 games, but only 30 games started. Anyway, uh, Carl Morton was the most frequent starter. Right. He was playing out the string, but did okay with a 3-4-1 ERA in 1973. Carl Morton was not a bad pitcher, not a bad pitcher for the Braves. He, he was a pretty good pitcher. He also wasn't great, is my point. No, not great at all. Uh, neither uh, was, say, Ron Schuller. Or the aforementioned Rorick Harrison. Yeah. Or the aging Ron Reed, who actually was actually kind of uh-huh. bad that year. Yeah. Uh, and then in the bullpen, I don't know what's going on in the bullpen. Was Cecil Upshaw injured or just old? Oh, did they even have him anymore that year? Uh, he was only 30. He got in five games, so I don't know what's happening. Oh, I mean, he was on the roster. They traded him at some point. Maybe yeah. it was during that season. Uh, Pat Dobson got 10 starts and had a 5 ERA. Uh-huh. Uh, Joe Necro had 20 games out of the bullpen and a 4-1-3 ERA, and we gave him up, and then he'd go on to pitch well for the Astros. Yeah, you know, that's a, Joe Necro, Phil's younger brother, was with the Braves for a long time, uh, but he never got a chance to nope. be a starting pitcher for the Braves, and once he went to the Astros, he, of course, became one of the best starting pitchers in the league for several more years. Uh, also in the bullpen were Danny Frazella, uh-huh. who stunk. He'd been okay for the Mets earlier, but never did anything. Uh, much also, the, the man who would go on to be known as Dr. Tom House, but then was just Tom House. He also uh-huh. was not very good in 73. And the uh, 21-year-old the way, Adrian he's, Devon. He's be excellent in 74, though. Tom House is right. coming along. So part of it is the starting pitching was meh, and the bullpen was a disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that can be really frustrating. you got a good offensive team that hits home runs, scores runs. Your starters sort of keep you in the game, and then you, you lose games in the end. Uh, which happened a lot in 73 is pretty demoralizing um, what's so fascinating about the, the transition from 73 to 74 from my point of view as a Braves fan is in my long time thinking about what I care about in baseball um, offensively they dropped off sharply from 73 to 74 uh, we talked mm-hmm. about Dave Johnson um, Aaron as great as Aaron was finally sort of hit like a mortal man um, in 74 after you thinking he was ageless and he never declined uh, he dropped off a lot um evans didn't have as good a year um offensively other than ralph gar they, they all stepped back and yet they were so much better in 74 and the reason is the pitching staff was so much better in 74 well and i kind of um, you will maybe remember this or maybe these years all run into a blur of uh having five good players and needing three more good players but were the 74 braves supposed to be good um no i don't think they predicted they would be any better than they were in 73 they pretty much had there wasn't a lot of transition in that roster um you mentioned you know the starting pitchers from 73 they were pretty much the same ones in 74 with one exception we'll get to in a moment yes one new guy um and the starting lineup wasn't that different um they actually moved dave johnson from second base to first base um and he mostly played first base in 74 and i have no idea why because i think they thought he was a slugger anybody that hits 40 home runs belongs at first base instead of second i guess was the thinking i think he was also uh, a 30 year old second baseman and they had well, marty sure. Perez and craig Maybe robinson he really had lost a fair amount in the field um but anyway the team the team offensively just wasn't nearly as good pretty much the same roster people just didn't do as well that happens you know also mike lum sometimes. stunk 
that year? Mike Lum um, was never all that good. He was he, he was, was solid in '73. Base run the year before and drove in a bunch of runs, even though he wasn't that good. Um, Mike Lum was was the ultimate fourth, fifth outfielder, first baseman, backup, left-handed pinch hitter. If you gave him a, a regular role, he wasn't quite up to it. He was a good guy to have on your bench. But first of all, the Eric Hensky fan club, if it exists, should be mad at you. Well, second, okay. um, <laughs> Lum is he weird. Was, he was because... like he was like Eric Hensky for for his day, except mm-hmm. that he didn't have quite as much power as Hensky. No, <laughs> he didn't hit as many home runs. But it, it is striking that very little changed. Um, right. But what changed? And let, let's don't keep the, the well. No. Here's here's but, the big deal. Yeah. What was the story of the Braves in the seventy three seventy four off season? Oh well, here we are talking about all these things, which anybody uh, we even said at the outset that one of the most historic mm-hmm. moments in Atlanta Braves history maybe happened, and that's of course Hank Aaron's chasing of Babe Ruth's record. Any, anybody nowadays can't even imagine how huge that was. Um, We've had so many more home runs hit and, you know, the whole Barry Bonds mess. But Babe Ruth's record was always considered unbreakable. Babe Ruth was the baseball hero of all time. Um, he had, you know, nearly 200 more home runs than anybody else in history for, you know, most of my childhood until all of a sudden both Hank Aaron and Willie Mays um, hit first guys to hit over 600 um, since Ruth. Um, and Aaron, because he just seemed ageless, uh, sort of sneaked up on everybody. Uh, he caught up with Willie Mays in home runs, and he kept hitting. He hit 40 every year, and then by 73, he hit another 40. By the last game of the season, uh, he was he was at 40 home runs. I mean, he was at um, 40 home runs for the season, which put him at 713 for his career. Um, well, and I do want to say, while I'm a Braves partisan and will always boost Hank Aaron, Willie Mays played out the end of his career in candlestick in one year in shape. Oh, I know. And um, is, Aaron is, got to be Hank in. Aaron will always be my favorite baseball player. In all honesty, yeah. I will concede, if he had finished out his last decade in candlestick and Willie Mays had played his last decade at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, um, would have been, I think, their home run totals may very well have been reversed. Um, on the other hand, Aaron was so consistent uh, and aged so well. Um, and he, I say he aged well. He was a very different hitter by the time he was in his late 30s than he had been. We, you know, we talked about him in 19, when, he, when he was so young in 57 and won the MVP. Um, he had lost a fair amount of speed, obviously. He became a dead pull hitter by the time I remember him there in the early 70s. Uh, but that guy could crush a mistake. Um, he was always a guest hitter, and if somebody threw him a, a you know, a breaking ball when he was looking for it, uh, he he did. He wasn't as good as Barry Bonds was when he was setting home run records. But Aaron was the kind of guy. Only other one I ever remember, in addition to Bonds, that if a pitcher made a mistake, he was going to crush it. He, Aaron just didn't miss it um, when he got a pitch he could hit. Well, it is uh, actually he was still doing that at age thirty nine in nineteen seventy three. And ended up, and he, people, st- you know, thought he might have a chance at Ruth's record, but um, obviously during the '73 season, it became clear he probably would. And as I said, he finished the season only one home run short of Aaron, um, getting down to the last series and in '73. That dominated the off-season talk. The important thing to remember also, 
the Braves opened the 1974 season in Cincinnati. Right. And, and, and they announced that Aaron was going to sit, that they wanted him yes. to tie and um, break the record in Atlanta. And they were going to Atlanta after the first short three-game series in Cincinnati. And the commissioner at the time, Bowie Kuhn, um, ordered them, nope, you got to play him. Actually, I, if what I remember is he said, you got to play him at least two of the three games. Mm-hmm. So they did. So Aaron started um, – the opening day in Cincinnati. You know, back then Cincinnati always had the opening day, and the Braves happened to be the ones playing there. Uh, sure enough, Aaron he had a flair for the dramatic. He had a home run um, in his very first at bat, and so he had tied the record in Cincinnati. And so he tied the record at that point at seven fourteen, and the, he he did not hit one on Saturday, and the Braves did not play him on Sunday. <laughs> they had permission to play him two games. Um, and so, come back to Atlanta. Yep, playing the Dodgers, and it's on national television on a weeknight. Um, that again, that did not happen. It, obviously, this is before cable and ESPN. This is even before TBS Superstation. Um, so the networks um, carried the game, the, the opening game of the Braves Dodgers series, precisely because um, Aaron has a chance to, you know, break Babe Ruth's record. What was, but then if you think about it, even a great home run hitter like Hank Aaron, he's only going to hit a home run every several games. Right. I mean, over the course of a season, he's going to hit it at best once every four games or so. Um, but everybody just kind of assumed, well, now he's going to come home, he'll break the record. Um, and sure enough, I was, I did not have a ticket to that game. I, I should say I was there. Most people I know say they were. Obviously, most of them weren't. Don't be that uh, guy. But I, I'm not. I was watching it on television, though, in my dorm room in college. And um, I was by myself, I remember. I forget where my roommate was or other guys, but I was sitting in the room by myself watching uh, this game. And it was so exciting. Aaron comes to bat in the first um, inning, um, and he walks without ever taking the bat off his shoulder. Um, and so then he comes up his second at bat uh, off the left-handed pitcher, Al Downing. Uh, former Yankee, still not a bad pitcher, uh, pitching for the Dodgers now. And the first swing Aaron took in the ball game, this is the way I always remember it anyway, in his second at bat, sure enough, there goes this home run, barely clears the left field fence, but it's gone. Everybody's seen the call, they've seen the mm-hmm. clip of him rounding the bases. But let me tell you, and watching it at that point, that, that was one of the most exciting things of my baseball fandom. Um, you mentioned Tom House. Most people that followed it much remember that Tom House actually caught that ball. That's where the Braves' bullpen was, out there in left field. Um, it barely cleared the fence. What's interesting about that is it seems like most of Aaron's home runs. He was not a guy that hit the ball 450, 500 feet. Uh, he hit you know, hell of a lot of home runs, um, but a lot of them were just enough to clear the fence. That's what you remember about him anyway. Yeah, Buckner was no different. Bill Buckner was the outfielder there before his knees got ruined and he had to become a bad first baseman. Um, and he actually tried to jump Red over Sox the wall. Red Sox stayed in left field, obviously. Um, while Milo Hamilton was great and called the Braves for years on WSB, I yeah. want to read out what the greatest broadcaster of all time, honestly, if I'm being fair, Vin Scully did. Right. Uh, he said, what a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. 
a black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. That, that is beautiful. And, and Scully, he, he was the best. Uh, unfortunately, using past tense now, since you yes. know he retired this past season. Um, but what you just said, it almost brings a tear to my eye, because what we haven't said so far in this podcast is all of the surrounding shit pardon my language uh, about this chase for the home run title because Aaron was getting death threats on a regular basis I mean there was no more gracious athlete a guy who um you know was just a great teammate and you know quiet went about his business but um solid and dependable and just just a just a great human being and yet there were so many people that did not want him to break the record solely because he was a black man breaking you know, the record held by a white man. And, and this is at the tail end of the civil rights movement. We're still just barely 10 years after the Civil Rights Act, and, um, the March on Washington and all of that. And things are changing, but that, what Scully said was, was really important. Now, I, I don't... I think the Atlanta fans pretty much embraced Aaron by and large. It was sort of a national phenomenon that there were just some, just some old farts and plenty of racists that, for whatever reason, were were not taking kindly to Aaron breaking Ruth's record. But um, well, you got to think that the really uh, diehard racists after the '50s did not like any major league baseball team because they would have a real problem. Right, um, but at least they still had Ruth and the unbreakable record from yeah. the good old days when baseball was pure. But uh, and so Aaron kind of shattered that for a lot of people. So, I mean, and thank God. Um, yeah. And thank God he did. And what, what a great guy to do it. Uh, so it was a wonderful moment and the crowd went wild. Um, it, it was, it was pretty fabulous. Um, so that was the big moment at the start of the 73 season and we will, right. or the 74 season and we will get to, uh, the rest of it, but real quickly, I want to say uh, right now, if you're enjoying listening to the Channel 17 podcast, you can help our, you can help out this podcast and the entire Productive Leisure Network by going to our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/ProductiveLeisure. Patreon is a crowdfunding site that allows you to give a small monthly donation for ongoing projects, like say a podcast network. And so, if you enjoy listening to the Channel 17 podcast, please go to Patreon and help support us. Also, uh, listen to our other podcasts, especially the What Happened Today podcast, which is a daily history podcast, 10 or so minutes, that covers what happened on that date in history, and we would love to do more. My favorite idea for a podcast combines these two into a sports history podcast where I get to watch old sporting events from the 50s, 60s, or 70s, let's say, on YouTube and talk about it. But... It takes time and effort, and so I would need help to do that. And if you think that's interesting, go to Patreon and help us out, and you will get me closer to being able to prattle on about old sports if you've enjoyed what uh, we are doing here. So, again, if you want to help out the Productive Leisure Network, go to patreon.com slash productiveleisure, or, as always, find us on iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe, leave a rating, and leave a review. But with that out of the way... Let's talk about what happened to the rest of the 1974 season. Yeah, I mean, most people's memory, 74, comes down to that one night in Atlanta where Aaron hit that home run, and it, and it, was, it was fantastic. What's interesting about it from a baseball standpoint is 
um, that was sort of the beginning of the decline of, of Henry Aaron. Um, I've always called him Henry Aaron, by the way. I heard early on when he first came to Atlanta that you know, sports writers and other people called him Hank, but he, he preferred Henry. I don't know if that's true, but I've always wanted to think of him that way. Okay. Anyway, uh, the hammer um, actually was not very good. Can I disabuse um, you of this notion? What's that? I want to disabuse you slightly of this notion. Okay. What well, It also says something about the Braves. Hank Aaron was 40 years old, and he only played yeah. in 112 games. Yeah. So he hit... 268 with 20 home runs and 16 doubles, only 91 hits, which for an all-time great who had been so consistent is slightly disappointing. On the other hand, in only 340 at-bats, he hit 20 home runs. Right. He walked 39 times while only striking out 29, so his triple slash number was 268, 341, 491. He was still a capable offensive contributor. At four. Yeah, I said he wasn't very good. Boy, that was an awful thing for me to say. He wasn't, you know, at an all-time great level, which Hank Aaron had been every single season for pretty much his whole career for almost 20 years at this point. This was the first year that he played um, at below that level. Um, he obviously wasn't playing as often. You say he was he was in 112 games. Uh, many of those games he didn't finish. I remember mm-hmm. he, he would start, and if the Braves had a lead, they brought in Roland Office as the defensive replacement because um, he didn't move nearly as well at that point. Even so, he slugged 491 that year. He's got an OPS over 800. Um, that, he was he was an excellent offensive player. He just it became clear at that point he was no longer going to perform at the Hank Aaron all-time great level year after year. It and was the beginning of the decline. There's still an argument he was the best offensive player on the team that year. Yeah, he probably was. Although um, Daryl Evans didn't do what he had done the previous year. He only hit 240, yeah. but what a year while hitting 240. Right. Yeah, Daryl Evans, he, unfortunately, this is back in the 70s when people thought batting average was the most important statistic. He hit 240 that year. No, nobody had a very good batting average on the team except Ralph Carr, who led the league in hitting. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? I, I grew up always saying that. Yeah. The best hitter in the league is the guy with the highest batting average. We still use that expression occasionally, love, love the league in hitting. Well, he led the league in batting average at 353, but Ralph Carr's own base percentage was 383. Daryl Evans was 381. Are you Even looking at Darryl stuff? Evans only hit, I'm looking at baseball okay. reference. I don't usually do that, but that's not from memory. I'm actually looking at it. <laughs> Daryl Evans, uh, with a 240 batting average, walked 126 times. So uh, what Gar was good at was getting on base. Well, Evans did that as, as well um, as Ralph Gar. Now, Gar had a really good year. I don't mean to minimize Ralph Gar. He couldn't walk much. But Gar had 24 doubles and... 17 triples along with 11 home runs so he slugged 500 so uh, that that was Gar far and away the best year Ralph Gar ever had so it's not that they didn't have any good offensive players Aaron was pretty good that year Ralph Gar was really good that year Darrell Evans was really good that year but nobody else did much offensively no and uh, Johnny Oates was a disaster behind the plate oh, as right. was Craig Robinson at short and their Craig backups Robinson was one of the very worst offensive players the Braves have ever had. He played an excellent defensive shortstop, but he was in the lineup solely for his glove. He was a terrible offensive player. But they were they, they, probably better they than the backups. They moved Dave Johnson to first base, 
and he really he he did not hit like a first baseman. He yeah. hit pretty well for a second baseman, but at at first base he didn't produce very much at all. They did that, and then Marty Perez played second base. He was not a bad hitter for a shortstop, but as a second baseman, um, I mean he just he was just not a good offensive player either. So. And so, how did the Braves win eighty eight games? And the answer lies. Well, Phil Necro had one of his better years yeah. in a Hall of Fame career. But, but for once, Phil Necro uh, was not the only good starting pitcher they had. The, the man's name, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, who yep. was really the star of the 74 Braves, was Buzz Capra. Uh, Great name, by the way. Yes. Um, they had acquired from the Mets. Uh, they acquired him as a relief pitcher long man. And my memory of the season is he started the season out of the bullpen. Um, and they, they moved him into the starting rotation. Sometime during the first half, let's see, he ended up starting um, 27 games. games. He pulled a Chris right. Medlin. Yeah. For um, more re- but he led the league in earn-run average. He had, what, 11 complete yeah. games? He, he was dominant. He had, um, he, had it, he was a small guy. He had, he had electric stuff, though. Um, obviously, he wasn't striking out people at yes. the same rate we're used to seeing and in current day, you, you uh, want to hear baseball. something weird? You might be yeah, seeing right. it too. Necro had a better strikeout per nine average. Yeah, Necro always struck people out. You know, um, but I'm saying, he, Capra yeah. was sort of smoke and mirrors. In a way, he was. Yeah, he had excellent control. Uh, his his pitch had good movement on it. I mean, he was kind of like um, Chris Medlin. You know, mm-hmm. at least exactly like Medlin, Chris Medlin was so dominant there. Started out in long relief. They put him in the rotation. Um, Capra was not actually as dominant as Medlin was in that one season where Medlin was so fantastic down the stretch. But it's very similar. Capra was, the fans were so excited. He was a small guy, kind of like Chris Medlin, and it was fun. But he led the league in ERA with a, what, 2.28. Necro's ERA was 2.38. Um, Capra won 16 games. Necro won 20. Uh, the, the sort of steady, dependable Carl Morton had an ERA at 3.15 and won 16 games himself. Um, that's a pretty good front of the rotation. And the, the aging Ron Reed um, had an ERA of 3.39. The Braves hadn't seen ERAs in that range among several starting pitchers ever. Yeah. <laughs> that was unheard. I, I was so excited as a Braves fan who always kind of liked pitching. Uh, I'd I, I, I actually really love those mid-60s Dodgers teams that seem to do it all with pitching. I was a pretty big fan of the Roe Weaver Orioles with all the great starting pitching. For the first time as an Atlanta Braves fan, man, they got some really good starting pitchers. And the bullpen was good. At least Tom House was yeah. excellent, I remember. Um, yeah, he appeared in 56 games and then an ERA below two. Well, here's the other thing about this season. Eddie Matthews was the manager for 99 games. Eddie Matthews yeah. was one of the great third basemen of all time and a legendary Brave. He was not a good manager. Right. To be yeah. nice. He actually got fired. He, he, we're talking about this is the best Brave season in, in over a decade. And oddly enough, he got fired in the middle of it. Because mm-hmm. um, they were at about 500, it seems like. And, 50 and, and 49. Yeah. And, and it seemed like they were underachieving. They they had a, a wonderful uh, stretch run. Uh, they were already out of it. Well, actually, uh, here's what up. happened, if I'm reading the schedule right, which I think I am. Going into the All-Star break, uh, they 
had a four-game series with Pittsburgh and were sitting at 50 and 45 and got swept. And, and that's that when he got fired, huh? Matthews. That being swept in the season leading up to the All-Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was at the All-Star. It was a late All-Star break. Yeah. It was a little later back then. Um, but they had a really good second half. Um, Under Clyde King, up, who really wasn't some sort of legendary manager. No, he'd been a really good pitching coach for several yeah. teams over the years, I think. Um, and and I the bullpen was managed well. Yeah, well, anyway, um, it was a great stretch run. Now, they weren't really competitive um, in this Western. This was a very strong Western division. This this is the era when the big red machine is just gearing up, but the Dodgers are dominant. The Dodgers had great starting pitching. They had Andy Messersmith and Don Sutton, um, and they were they were two really excellent teams that seemed to vie for the Western Division title every year, and the Braves weren't really in it. Uh, but they finished a respectable third to those two. Yeah, the Dodgers won 102 games that year. The Big Red Machine won 98, which for that era was a disappointment. <laughs> The Braves had the same record as the Pirates who won the East. So again, going back to our last conversation about geographical sense, Braves could have won a division in 74. They would have won the division if they only... Well, no, Cincinnati would have gone with them. Well, right. Um, Still. But it was a a season of hope because the Braves um, obviously played really well and they finished strong. um, And although they, they weren't really in the pennant race, you know, they... It was it was far and away their best finish in several years, and they had some some good pitching. It seemed like. Yeah, except one that Dodgers team was insane. Yeah, <laughs> like we talk about the Big Red Machine, legitimately the Big Red Machine has an argument for greatest team of all time, if you yeah. count for a few years. But like this was the year in which Steve Yeager actually hit behind the plate for the Dodgers. Not to mention they had their longtime infield. It was Bill Buckner's first OK season with the bat. It was Jimmy Wynn's last good season with the bat, I believe. Yeah. Like, Joe Ferguson hit off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, well. And, as you mentioned already, they had Messersmith and Sutton leading the staff. And so, oh, yeah. well, and Tommy John and then Mike Marshall. That was Mike Marshall's crazy year in the bullpen. That was Mike Marshall actually was the Cy Young winner that year yeah. for, you know, pitching in pretty much every game of the season. 106 like. games, 208 innings, 242 ERA. I like mentioning this whenever I can. Right. No but game started. People, people hear that and they say, no, that can't be right. No pitcher's ever done that. He's the only guy that ever yeah. has done anything like that. That, that He had other seasons that sort of approached it, but mm-hmm. that was the pinnacle. Um, so, like... The Braves so anyway, were good. The Braves weren't really competitive right. with, with the Reds or the Dodgers uh, throughout this stretch. But the reason the Braves didn't win any pennants in the 70s was not just because the Dodgers and yes. the Reds were so good for a decade. It's because the Braves really weren't. The one year they were pretty good, they still weren't really competitive with those teams. And so getting to 75, obviously there was some hope. You know, maybe Capra would come on. Necro was still Necro. I mean, the guy was amazing because he just would go out there and, you know, win 20 games no matter what the circumstances were. Right. Yeah. Even when the circumstances were that um, he would lose. Talk about Hank Aaron being consistent for a long time. Necro, not quite at the level of Hank Aaron, but that's why Necro's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was just really good for a long time. The real big marker of 75 is that it's the year 
that the Braves did not have Hank Aaron for the first time in oh, right. almost two decades. Um, yeah. For exactly two um, decades. And, I mean, it made sense. Aaron was 40. He was it, contemplating retirement. He could go he back had, to Milwaukee. He, he loved being in Milwaukee. And, he, um, and mainly, they had just instituted the designated hitter rule in the American League the year yes. before. Um, and it was a chance for him to still hit without playing in the field. So he finished out, actually played two more years in Milwaukee. Um, not bad. Um, finishing, of course, with 755 home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he was, uh, it was, it was, it was sad for me for Aaron to go, um, just because I, I loved him so much. Um, but anyway, um, but the Braves. I want to touch on 75 a bit, but then also yeah, sort of on do. from it. What a disappointing season Good coming job. off, you know, a strong second half, winning 88 games. Um, uh, they got Earl Williams back. Oh, we I talked forgot. About that, yeah. Played him at first, and he stunk. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a theme, by the way. Daryl Evans was still Daryl Evans. God bless Daryl yeah. Evans. But we'll get to the problem with Daryl Evans and the Braves later. By later, I mean in 10 minutes, and then we'll see how long we go after that. Uh, right. Roland Office had his one good season. Ralph Gar had a usual Ralph Gar season. They were about the same. They were high-average hitters who never walked and had no power. Right. Uh, Dusty Baker was fine, but not spectacular. And then we get to whatever happened to the staff. Yeah. Um, offensively, they were pretty much the same team and pretty similar going forward. Um, the pitching staff completely fell apart. Uh, Buzz Capra, it turns out, was a one-season wonder. He only pitched 78 uh, innings with a 4-2-5 ERA, but even Necro went up to a 3-2, although yeah. in 275 Necro innings. Was Necro was Necro. He was going to fluctuate in that range all right. the time. No, nothing wrong with Necro. But, you know, nobody else. Tom House was still good, but he went from having a sub-2 ERA to a 3-1 ERA. I mean, that's a difference. Right. Um, Ron Reed finally kind of fizzled out. Uh, the old Blue Moon Odom, well, not that old, he was 30, but the on the downslip of his career, Blue Moon yeah, Odom he, he was, was a disaster. Up. And they never really got themselves together after that. Yeah. I mean, really, it took years. It did. Um, and, you know, we were talking about uh, the great young players that came along in the early 70s, Daryl Evans and Dusty Baker and Ralph Gar, you know, all all-star caliber players. Uh, they were all gone from the Braves within another season. Um, the Braves did not stick with the core that they had brought up together, um, I think because they were so disappointing. But it wasn't that those players were disappointing. It was other people. They were they were all pretty solid. Nobody ever really appreciated Darrell Evans. He went on, you know, to play for over another decade after the Braves. Yeah, actually, I might have found – I was about to get to Evans as the most representative thing, but here here is actually – the thing that I had forgotten, and you might have too. Do you remember that the Braves had Dick Allen? No. There's so many of these players like that that have come through briefly. Um, he never he got an at-bat. for the Braves? He never actually played for the Braves, but the Braves had him. Right. Right. On December 3rd, 1974, the Braves traded for him for a player right. to be named later and cash from the White Sox. Here's the thing for people who are unaware of Dick Allen. Dick Allen is like one of the great hitters of all time by natural talent. Yep. No one could stand the guy. Like at all. 
I mean, he would get in fights with everybody. You know, we, he was you, nasty. You never want to speculate too much of what these players are like personally, privately. I've always wanted to argue against people to talk about somebody has a bad attitude or a clubhouse cancer. But at least in the case of Dick Allen, it seems to be unanimous. Everybody who ever knew the guy says <laughs> that about him. Uh, he had made it from the Phillies where he came up as a young sensation to the Cardinals, which is actually most notable as the Kurt Flood trade. Oh, right. Um, and then the Cardinals, one year later, sent him to the Dodgers, uh, who promptly a year later sent him to the White Sox, where Allen kind of behaves a little bit but tears that clubhouse apart. And so the Braves get him by sending Jim Essien... But they sent Jim Essien eight days after they traded Dick Allen and Johnny Oates to the Phillies for Barry Bunnell and Jim Essien. Oh, okay. The player to be uh, named later is a guy that they got for the guy they traded. Can you believe that? <laughs> like, uh, there, there was such a revolving door through, through all this time period. Um, Barry Bunnell, by the way, Way was the next Joe DiMaggio. Everybody said that about him. He looked like the Yankee Clipper, the way he could glide around. Why would anyone say that? Prospect. <laughs> Furman Bisher, the great sports writer, columnist for the, the Atlanta paper, uh, I think he's the one who, who said that. But everybody loved Barry Bunnell. Of course, yeah. one of the many can't-miss prospects the Braves have had over the years who missed. Uh, but here, here's another thing I found on the Dick Allen page, which gets around to the point I wanted to make, and I think I cut you off from making. The guy who the Cardinals sent to the Phillies when Kurt Flood refused to report in the Dick Allen trade, Willie Montanez. Oh, what goes around sort of comes yes. around. That's who the Braves got in return for Daryl Evans, and I think one of their worst trades ever. Um, That's that, a crazy trade. Do you remember that trade? It was December 8th, 1977, so we're moving a bit further forward. But again, our next conversation will be 78, and so yeah. this damage was done. But it's, but we're also saying farewell to Daryl Evans in our breakthrough. In yeah, sentence. and Daryl Evans, as I've said several times, was very underappreciated. He hit with very good power, um, and he, he led the league in walks multiple times. You mentioned he had 120 something walks. No, I was I was reading it wrong. About. It was it was the middle of the season, 76. Then the Braves traded Montanez in 77. Right. In the oh, I, it, it was in the middle of the season when they traded um, Evans. I remember that. And I can remember when it happened. Willie Montanez was a first baseman. Um, he was mainly known, at least what I remember him for, was the way he would catch a pop-up by sort of snapping his glove at it. Uh, he was a hitter who could hit 300 without a whole lot of power and without walking. But again, for some reason back then, people thought that made you a good baseball player if you could hit 300, which he did. And Daryl Evans never hit 300. Um, but Daryl Evans was, walked 100 times a year and would always hit 20 homers, sometimes 30 or 40. Right. Um <laughs> Daryl Evans had really good power and got on base better than, you know, the person that led the league in batting average sometimes. Um, he also played a pretty good third base. He was not a really good third baseman. He, he came up in an era where there were some of the all-time great defensive third basemen. Um, but um, he, 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 played, he played a pretty good third base. And then, you know, he had a very long career, ultimately in the American League, uh, finally with the Tigers. Uh, after being with the Giants a while, um, but do you remember? He was still very good, even at age forty. The other particulars of that trade, which one? The Daryl Evans Willie Montanez yeah, trade. Yeah, and then Those we'll get the to only the two names I remember out of crazy Willie Montanez later. Um, 
So the San Francisco Giants sent Willie Montanez, Jake Brown, Mike Eden, and Craig Robinson for Daryl Evans and Marty Perez. Oh, they um, hate to lose Marty Perez. <laughs> no, he, Marty Perez was sort of a fixture in the middle infield throughout the mid-70s for the Braves. And it's part never of the problem with the Braves in the good. mid-70s. Um, Craig Robinson coming to the Braves. Is that the same Craig Robinson that had been with the Braves a couple of years before? I believe so. I, don't even, I didn't even remember that. Okay, um, um, I'm going to read this out for the trade. This sets up our 1978 Okay. Thing in some ways. Two important things to remember. Uh, Ted Turner buys the team before the 76 season and promises to do crazy things, which he does pretty promptly. Um, famously. And one, one thing he does um, yes. is he signed Andy Messersmith, yes. who was the best pitcher in the league, but pretty much. And in the, the first free agent. Yeah. The very first free agent. Um, there was a court ruling and, and everything. Uh, right. And also, the progenitor of our podcast name because uh, Ted Turner thought it would be fun to have everyone wear their nicknames on their back. Andy Messersmith wore 17. WTBS was Channel 17 so he said Messersmith's nickname is Channel. The right. commissioner's office it, did it, not of go for it. It never been his actual nickname. Uh, um, he wore it one time in spring training but still. Yeah. Uh, I think the commissioner one more time had to step in and tell the Braves they couldn't do something because um Yes. You're not supposed to advertise like that, and it, of course that and is what that was. Then the next season, but my gosh, you gotta love Ted Turner. Yes, the next um, season, Turner sent Dave Bristol on a ten-day scouting trip and became the manager for a game until the commissioner also put the kibosh on that. Right, um, but that's because the Braves were really awful at that point. They yes, had, they were. Uh, we talked about how seventy-five, they just lost all the progress they'd made, and by seventy-six and seventy-seven, they were they were the dregs. <laughs> um, they also traded away Dusty Baker. You know, Dusty Baker and Daryl Evans, two, you know, maybe maybe not Hall of Fame caliber players, but, you know, long career, all-star sometimes. Um, and they never got back much of anything in return. And their farm system wasn't really producing. There are names that I don't even remember anymore that you'd hear, oh, they, they got these guys coming along, and it never really seemed to work that way. Um, they did draft a number one pick in the 74 season, though that people might have heard of. If I remember right, that was Dale Murphy's draft year. Yes, he would take so, a while, though. Um, it, yeah, he, it, he and, and this is the it takes him a while to come up, weird but. thing about the late 70s Braves. They really did take some time to develop, but the key thing was Ted Turner hired Bobby Cox. Exactly. Um, that was before the 78 season, right? Yes. It seems like Dave Bristol was 76 and, and 77. I, I do want to say, I, I want to get to this trade that I mentioned earlier. I'm gonna. I'm on Willie Montanez's baseball reference page, which is a yeah. sad baseball reference page, but that's a separate issue. December eighth, nineteen seventy-seven. Willie Montanez traded as part of a four-team trade by the Atlanta Braves to the New York Mets. The Texas Rangers sent Tommy Boggs, Adrian Devine, and Eddie Miller to the Atlanta Braves. The okay. Texas Rangers sent a player to be named later, and Tom Grieve to the New York Mets. The Texas Rangers sent Burt Blylevin to the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates sent Nelson Norman and Al Oliver to the Texas Rangers. The New York okay. Mets sent John Matlack to the Texas Rangers. The New York Mets sent John Milner to the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Texas Rangers sent Kent Henderson to the New York Mets to complete the trade on March 15, 1978. Wow. Now that's so the Braves the <laughs> just did Montanez for Tommy Boggs, Adrian Devine, and Eddie Miller. Right. Which 
which is not a bad trade since Montanez was not any good and wasn't going to get any better. Those guys weren't any good. Um, Tommy Boggs was a, was the kind of guy the Braves needed, a young pitcher with really good stuff. And, you know, you need, you need a lot of those guys, and sometimes they turn out. The problem with the Braves had in the 70s and the 80s, they'd get one or two young pitching prospects. Okay, now this guy's going to be really good. We, we can turn to him. And Tommy Boggs had a major league career, but, you know, never a front of the rotation all-star kind of starter. Um, uh, the other guys in the trade, um, Eddie, Eddie Miller was um, an all-speed, no-hit kind of defensive outfielder. Um, who, who else did they get? Adrian Devine. They got Adrian, Adrian Devine. Devine yeah. Well, um, the one name that, st- that stood out in that trade um, Burt Blylevin, you know, the, the, the one true Hall of Famer. That yeah, but also Al Oliver was, like, there were other good players in that. Oh, yeah, Al Oliver was a perennial um, all-star kind of player. John Matlack um, had a pretty good career. I mean, like, oh, yeah, John weird Matlack trade. been an excellent pitcher for the Mets. I think he might have been close to washed up at that point. Um, but the Braves were going young. I mean, they were doing the, yeah. kind of the right thing. Um, but, again, to tie this into the current day, if you want to do a rebuild and, and – turn to prospects um, it takes quantity in addition to quality it takes both and the Braves never seem to have enough (laughs) and they put their hopes on one or two and and those guys didn't pan out Um, they had nothing left and it's also why I don't mind Malik's maybe going to the minors to start the year or playing it Um, slow with Dustin Peterson because we have Matt Kemp you're not saying this is our future star Malik Smith play he's kind of exciting but um he probably does need to play. Um, you need to see what you got with him playing on a regular basis and facing left-handed pitchers. Yeah, he's going to be a major league player. Uh, I hope he can learn to hit lefties. And he probably on the major league roster, I wouldn't use him against a lefty, but in AAA, yeah, see what happens. And maybe we get a taker for Marcakis, or there's an injury, or something else goes on. And if he spends two months at AAA this year, that's not the worst thing in the world. And we're not doing what you were saying about Boggs, where it was this is our guy. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's, that's what's so different about this current rebuild and why I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, they just got, they're really committed to it in terms of so many young players. I mean, whether it was the thing they needed to do a couple of years ago, I mean, people can still debate that. But I, I like what they have now in terms of this farm system. Um, I don't know which of the ones will pan out, but they got enough of them to think that um, some of them are going to be pretty good. And Unfortunately for us as current fans, and we said this before, it's still the case that most of the Braves' really top-notch, high-caliber, high-end possibility prospects are age 20 and younger. So yeah. you, you can't. You have to be patient, and that's difficult, especially uh, as old as I am now. You were but patient throughout the, wars before. the 70s be and the 80s. With it. So I think yeah. it's fine, um, and we will talk about the 70s and 80s Uh, in the next few weeks and we will talk about these prospects hopefully for years to come and you can hear about all of it on the channel 17 podcast brought to you by the productive leisure network online productiveleisurenetwork.com and on itunes and stitcher and you can listen to everything we've done on our website and itunes and stitcher and you can also help us out as i mentioned earlier by going to our patreon page and becoming one of our supporters through patreon patreon.com slash productive leisure You can also uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter for everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network updates, whatnot, at Prod Leisure. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.